What's going on, y'all? Welcome to episode 53 of the Half Price Concessions Podcast, our 2020 season recap with Buddy Payne and myself, Tyler Williams. We sincerely appreciate you listening to our podcast, whether it's been all the episodes, a few episodes, or even if this is your first episode, we sincerely appreciate you being here. On this episode, we'll go back to our predictions that we made at the beginning of the racing season on Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, World of Outlaws, Lucas Oil Late Models, and World of Outlaws Late Models. We'll see how, how we did, how we did good, how we did bad, how much we missed the mark, and some news and notes as we look ahead to 2021. And we sincerely appreciate you being here. We also want to give a sincere end of calendar year thank you to our partners who helped make this season possible on the Half Price Concessions podcast. Of course, Performance Center Racing Warehouse, which has been with us from Jump Street from the very first episode. Roger Johnson and the awesome folks at Performance Center Racing Warehouse have been, a lot of times they've been the reason we've even kept making episodes. Their support has meant the world to us and we sincerely appreciate it. And also our friends at North Carolina 811 Dig that were on board with us this year, Mr. Brian Morehouse and the entire crew over there. We thank them for uh, trusting us to help get their message out about making sure that you dial 811 before you dig anything. And we've even had to use it a couple times in 2020. But we sincerely appreciate the support. We should we appreciate you listening. After these messages, we'll jump right in to our final episode of 2020 here on the Half Price Concessions Podcast. Planning on doing some digging in your yard? Your simple backyard project could quickly turn dangerous. Buried underground cables and lines are just inches below the surface. So don't forget to make one very important call to 811. Calling 811 is the first step in having your buried utilities marked so you know where it is safe to dig. 811 is free, it's fast, and it's the law. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you with support from Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In addition to being the home of the PRW chassis, Performance Center offers in-house setups and consulting plus suspension and chassis pull-down analysis, along with their fabrication shop that can reclip your race car with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Give Roger Johnson and the Performance Center team the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 or visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Here on the Half Price Concessions Podcast and back for our final episode of the year, Mr. Buddy Payne on a, you wouldn't believe it was December, <laughs> 60 something degrees on the back porch, the sun is shining down on us. Absolutely beautiful. It wouldn't be 2020 without a, right. with a nice warm day in December. That's right. But it makes for good outdoor recording and as we look back on the 2020 season it was, and I know we'll get more in depth into some of our bigger observations on the season as a whole and we'll see what we got right and what we got wrong in our predictions but it's it's funny bud because at this this year at some points it felt like it was dragging by on flintstone time and then at other times like now i'm like dang we're already in december like i feel like i don't feel like i missed the whole year but it's it's weird how that works you know it, yeah it's like you start thinking about like a, a race or something 
that happened and you're like, man, that was this year. You know, it felt like it's been years ago, you know, especially the early on stuff. And then, you know, some of these uh, um, sanctioning bodies still got in, you know, 50 plus races after being shut down for a couple months. So, yeah, it is definitely been an odd one for sure. If nothing else, and I know we'll hit on it later on, it was definitely the year of find a way to do it absolutely because yeah. doing it the conventional way did mm -hmm. not work at all this year this was a just on the fly yep so we'll go back and we made some predictions before the start of the year some different things we were going we thought we were going to see in formula one nascar indycar world of outlaws lucas oil late models and, and world of outlaw late models and it's kind of funny but when we, we look back at this i actually did the math on mine <laughs> I batted 333. Hey, so, I mean, that's a Hall of Famer right there. That's a Hall of Famer when we playing baseball, but <laughs> some of these racing ones I just got terribly wrong. Did you have pandemic world shutdown as one of your predictions? No. Okay. No, I, I kind of feel like I'm a, I'm a big history buff, and I kind of feel like I was probably one of those people that would have been back in Civil War times that thought, oh, this is only going to last a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, last four years. Yeah. You know, that, that, right. that unfortunately was probably me. I don't know if that was just naive or or what but um no nah, did not have pandemic in my uh you know richard dawson calling that on family feud i would not have gotten any points on the board but uh let's start with formula one sure. i think that's what we started with when we did the prediction show okay. um 2020 um another one the, the prediction we both got correct Lewis Hamilton <laughs> winning a seventh championship. Absolutely. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, had it locked up before the second-to-last race. He already Three had races it ago. clinched. Three races ago, had it clinched. And then the race after that, uh, Mercedes locked up the uh, manufacturer's championship. Shocker, shocker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think Ray Charles could have predicted that one. <laughs> yes. But uh, just another testament to just how far out in front of everybody else they seem to be in Formula One mm -hmm. and – now he ties Michael Schumacher. Yep. Pretty big deal there. Yep. He's uh, broken all the records. That's the only one that he has tied right now. So, you know, obviously that's going to be the big push and driving uh, force behind him for next year. So we'll look back on some of our predictions. I'll go first on one of mine. The only one I got right other than Lewis Hamilton being the champion was I unfortunately predicted that, that uh, Haas F1 was going to slip further down the board and they did. The only team they beat this year was Williams, who I think <laughs> you and I could have beat. Um, you know, only three points on the year. Already got announced kind of halfway through the – either halfway or partway through the season that they were going to be parting with both their drivers. I I thought Grosjean, who I'm – thank God he Still is alive. alive. Yes. I kind of thought Grosjean was at the end of his leash and Magnussen was kind of getting there. Now they both are. Mm -hmm. And I hate to see them – I hated to see that prediction come true. But I kind of wonder how much they're banking on this new rules package and wide-sweeping changes in F1 that are coming, how much they were banking on, all right, let's just get through this year, and next that when that package goes in, maybe we'll have a better shot. And you've seen that really with uh, Ferrari as well, as down on performance as they've been this year. Um, they're pretty much right, right the year off, and let's go ahead and look forward to next year. And... Um, uh, exciting news for Haas, though. You got a, you got one of the most iconic names in Formula One driving for him next year, and that'd be Mick Schumacher, Michael's son. Um, so that that's hopefully going to get some buzz around them again. And uh, like I said, with the rules package, it'd be nice to see them in that at least mid-pack battle. Yeah, I think I think uh, you got you got to wonder how much patience 
Gene Haas would have because he's spending a whole lot of money to finish second to last in the Constructors' Championship. That's not fun. It is not fun, no. And and we we see it in in all sports really, but in in racing especially to where you have to really bide your time. But once you get hot, you know you're gonna you're up there for a little while. And and it happens to everybody. You know you're dominating one year or competing for championships like Ferrari, and then this year, man, they're struggling to finish in the points. What was one of your Formula Ones? Did you get either of yours right? I did. Uh, I got the um, McLaren will have multiple podiums, and uh, we got to see Lando Norris actually at the first race uh, in Austria. Um, came home in third, and then Carlos Sainz at Italy, and what has to be the most unpredictable uh, podium uh, for that weekend, you had Pierre Gasly, um, winning the race, Carlos Sainz second, and Lance Stroll third. So you don't have a single Ferrari. Whoever Red had Bull. that line in the gambling pool won a lot of money. And, and actually, somebody did, and I think it was like a fifty, sixty thousand uh, dollar payday for him. But not a single like your top three teams. You know, Red Bull, Ferrari, um, and Mercedes. And Mercedes. You know, neither, neither. You know, nobody's representing them. So uh, yeah, so they got two. They just barely got into the multiple category, but they did get two. And then I had another one I got wrong. I said, foolishly, I don't know what I was thinking, that Carlos Sainz would run top three in the points. Uh, he ran eighth in the points, two DNFs. He did have a second in Italy and four top fives, but I don't know what I was thinking on that. <laughs> He's not driving for a Red Bull, Mercedes, or Ferrari. I, I don't know why. I must have been. Uh, well, McLaren did finish 2019 pretty strong, so I'll give you a pass on that. Yeah, eighth. Uh, saying someone's going to be top three and finishing eighth to me is not close. What was your <laughs> What was your other one? Uh, well, I've, I can't say much either on this one. Uh, I had Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc if you're from around the South, uh, will make a championship run. And if he had the car to do it, he would have. But unfortunately, no. Um, Ferrari's just uncharacteristic for them. has been way down on performance this year. We've seen probably the worst year Sebastian Vettel's ever had in Formula One. Um, and they really have been closed-lipped on the reason behind it. Um, a lot of it is they got pulled a few times last year, um, engine teardowns and stuff, because they had so much more straight line speed than even Mercedes. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton kind of called them out a few times, tongue in cheek, you know, uh, during some interviews. And um, really about the only information out there, there was just something with the fuel flow. Um, and then, of course, the aerodynamic uh, with that front wing. And so they kind of, I think that was one that was taken care of behind closed doors and a lot of money probably transferred to keep it that way. Uh, but unfortunately, the driver has been there. He has definitely driven above that car's performance, but didn't have the car to back it up. He'll be the top dog next year with uh, Vettel announcing that he's moving on. So right. he's going to be number one. Yeah. Then we move over to NASCAR and we're not going to spend too much time on NASCAR, but we did make a few predictions. I had, I did not get the champion right. I said Joey Logano was going to be the champion. He did make the final four, but he lost. Uh, even though I could not disagree more on the way NASCAR crowns are champions, why there's a final four beats me. Uh, Ryan Newman did not make the final eight, but again, kind of like uh, Grosjean in F1, glad Newman was alive. It was yes uh, another scary incident where we weren't quite sure how he was going to be. I was glad to see a, a safety innovation that it, it seems like he had a hand in putting in that extra bar in the roll cage. Um, and probably ended up saving his life. Okay. I, only one I got right was that Cole Custer would be the rookie of the year because he was driving for the best team of the three rookies. But old Reddick yes. is for what little bit of NASCAR I watched. Old Reddick is 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 good. Yes, I think that's another one where talents 
exceeding the the quality of the car right now. Um, so exciting to see. I think he's got a future in the sport. I don't know how long he'll be with RCR, but um, I think he'll he'll be a top runner for sure. Uh, of my predictions, um, again, I share the, the 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 test for their playoff crap. Um, I had Kevin Harvick as being the champion, despite having the most wins. You're still not even in the Final Four deal. Uh, finishes fifth in the championship, and of course Chase Elliott winning it. Um, I did get the other two correct, which I feel proud of, seeing as I don't watch much NASCAR. But uh, Kyle Busch will not make the Final Four after having such a dominant 2019 season, and of course he finished eighth in the points. And then your man, Mr. Keselowski, will make the Final Four, and he did come oh so close to winning the whole thing. Uh, finishing second in the points. I tell you, but it's uh, it's one of those things. We had we had tossed around the idea for those of you. Uh, we were gonna we had thought about doing a if I were the racing president segment. We ended up kind of doing it a different way that you'll hear later on. But one of my things was going to be get rid of this playoff yes. crap. I hate it. Slap shoes on YouTube put a video out that I shared on my Facebook page where he went through just how bad it has been. How it honestly to me lacks integrity in how you crown a champion in a sport where you compete with everybody over a course of a season it's not a stick and ball sport none of these other sanctioning bodies do this i think does nhra still do the countdown or yes. did they say i there's another one i don't like <laughs> i'm not i'm i'm almost at the point where i don't even like i know some local tracks do like drops right i'm at the point now where i don't even like those the only one i have sympathy for is like if you have a situation in like a local regional racing series where someone that is a member that runs all the races um, on the way to the racetrack or on the day of they have a, a, a spouse have something come up where they get sick or go to the hospital or someone dies given hardship points right, yeah. and at least giving them last place points yeah. that is about the only thing I can sympathize with now, I am done with drops, this playoff garbage. I just, I hate it. I'm done with it. Well, we've seen that in um, like a lot of the Speed Week stuff, you know, where you're running, you know, consecutive nights at the same track for the longest time, you know, you would drop one or two of your worst or a couple of them wouldn't even be for points. And, you know, just the final three or final four was just towards the championship points. But we saw this year, if I'm not mistaken, it was at uh, East Bay to where every night counted and to encourage guys to race run every single night, week, to yeah. run the full week versus saving your equipment and all this. I see both sides of it because you, you don't want to go out there and tear your stuff up if it's if there's no incentive behind it kind of thing. But playoffs is strictly for ball and stick sports, in my opinion. It does, it just doesn't work in motorsports. And it does. I, I know that they're trying to make it more exciting in a final run, but you know these guys, NASCAR runs, what, 36 races yeah. a year or something like that. you got to reward a guy for 36 races for being consistent throughout those entire 36 and you know make it to where if i do have a couple bad nights now i have to drive even harder you know to make up in the points and then you know some of these other series running 60 70 nights a week i, I i'm with you definitely give the hardship points you know you, your hauler breaks down on the way to the race you know something along those lines absolutely uh, give it that but yeah this whole okay everybody comes back to zero for the final 10 races that it just doesn't work no it's not uh, it's not the way it was meant to be but enough on that rant i could go all day on that <laughs> i could i could i could go to the cows come home indycar i did not get once again i bombed on this championship pit i said alexander rossi was gonna win the championship he ends up ninth in the points <laughs> didn't win a single race five podiums and four dnfs i at least I at least feel like I kind of got my – I predicted Colton Hurdle would contend for the championship. 
I feel like being third in the points means he was a contender. He had a win and one DNF. Um, but man, I don't know what I was smoking more. <laughs> thinking, thinking, uh, <laughs> thinking Carlos Sainz was going to run top three in F1 or thinking Alexander Rossi was going to win IndyCar. Those predictions, those both just sucked well, for me. Well, don't feel bad. I went over at IndyCar as well. I didn't. The, the closest thing I had, I had Joseph Newgarden meeting the championship. He did finish second in points. You know, Scott Dixon, cool to see the old man get him another championship. But that's about the closest thing I had. Uh, I had Simon Pagano had the most wins, and he had one. Um, the, uh, Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden each had four apiece. Um, and then the other prediction I had was uh, Will Power Will, Power will uh, contend for the championship, and unfortunately he was uh, only fifth in points. And that was one he would start the weekend off great. He had five poles. He had the most poles in uh, IndyCar, but seven finishes of 11th or worse, and I think three of uh, in the 20s. And obviously, you know, with the very abbreviated season that they had, um, you're not going to be able to make up one one bad finish, much less that many. I will say IndyCar had the eeriest race. I mean, it it was it was. A little eerie enough seeing some of these races run without fans. You know, a lot of the NASCAR races honestly have been hurting for attendance for a while, but seeing the Indianapolis 500 with not a soul to me was the eerie moment of 2020 as far as a race fan. And seeing what two was it 250,000 that place can sit 200,000 something like some, that some insane number to see and that that shot down the front yeah. stretch of them on both sides and there's nothing right and when they come around i love the three wide start there and when they come around and you're just the pageantry and everything none of that yes eldor was when they did the first stream there yeah that one was kind of odd and because i've been there and that atmosphere is just unlike any other that was weird, just the quiet, because you can hear them even through the, the live uh, streaming. But, yes, I agree with you. To see a place that can hold that magnitude of people with nobody there, that was just very odd. Then, World of Outlaws Sprint Cars. I think this is when it's going to start to get a little fun here. Oh, yeah. I got my champion wrong again. I said Donnie <laughs> Schatz was going to be the champion. Ford power. And he <laughs> fell off more. I mean, he had five wins, 24 top fives, but just seemed like a, a, a tough year for them. And you know what? I mean, his performance was down, but I think it's also just a further testament of how much everybody's caught up to mm -hmm. him, specifically Brad Sweet, who won the championship, and then Logan Schuhart. I mean, and now it's almost like the Jimmy Johnson or the Jeff Gordon syndrome where it's, it's weird. I appreciate what he did more now that he's had a couple of years where he hasn't. Yeah, it's nice to see that he is mortal, you know, because – for a while there, he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, when you're <laughs> when you're winning sixty to seventy percent of the races, and, and the fact that they run eighty, ninety a year, that's just unbelievable. So it is nice to see some parity at the top. Yeah, and then uh, Logan Schuhart taking gravel spot in the top three. This one, to me, I think uh, for gravel, it was a little bit not maybe not heartbreaking, but just what could have been. Yeah, because he did choose to miss races because he pursued the nascar thing with with the truck races that he got to start obviously the worst year to try to do that with the pandemic and the way things worked out and i think i don't know if it was jacob sealman or walkopedia that did the math on where he mm -hmm. would have been if he would just had his average finish right. and it probably was enough to make gravel sick but i mean another another hell of a year for logan Schuhart, and then 
I'm glad we both got this one right. Jacob Allen. Yes. Finally. That was oh, man. <laughs> probably my favorite moment of the World Outlaw season. Absolutely. And that win coming at Dodge City. And I'm glad they were, that was to where they were starting to allow some fans in the stands. I'm so glad he got to get his first win with someone there to celebrate for him because I mean, if you just know that guy here, just here in the interview, much less, you know, getting to meet him and stuff, there, nobody pulls against Jacob Allen. You may not pull for him, but there's no Jacob Allen haters out there. That dude's just, he, he wants to race, he wants to win, and he's just, he's, this, the atmosphere around him, man, is just so awesome to see. Um, I, too, had Logan Shuhart being in the top three and contend, and he finished second in points. Um, had a bad little stretch there. I mean, he led the points for you know a good portion of the season, had the bad stretch towards the end up at Williams Grove and all, really hurt him. Uh, only finished 46 points back. Um, and then uh, I, I did get the champion right with Brad Sweep. Um, pretty strong year. He had a very nasty wreck himself. I'm glad to see him. I think he even came back in the backup car that night and got the race, but just a nasty flip down the back stretch. I think it was an I-55, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but eight wins, 37 top fives, 46 top tens, and 54 races. That's pretty strong numbers. I think what a lot of it came down to, and obviously it comes down to more than one thing, but Brad's bad nights weren't as bad as Logan's bad nights. Brad's bad nights were, I think uh, I think it was at Kokomo where the, where the motor was almost blowing up the last couple laps yep. and he just nursed it. Around the bottom, still finished 11th. Yep. And then, but Logan, bad night would be like 20th. Right. So, I mean... When you when you're running that much, you got to make your bad nights can't be that bad. I would I would say, and I believe he even said in his interview that this year was a tougher championship for him to win versus last year. And you remember last year it came down to the final night at Charlotte. Yep. Um, but this year, just with not even knowing where you're going to race this weekend until probably Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, uh, and that stretch of bad luck that they had. And they were down a good portion in the points at one point, uh, 40, 50 points. And to be able to come back, that was a, a true testament and a well-deserved championship for them. So now we'll swing over to Lucas Oil Lake Models. Um, got another champion wrong. I'm just not good <laughs> on this champion thing. I had T-Mac as the champion. That one wasn't too far off. He was second to Owens, probably honestly. I'd I, I love to get your take on this. One of, if not T-Mac's best seasons as a national touring driver. Absolutely. Even better than when he won the World Outlaw Championship. Um, best, I think it was the first double-digit win um, season for him in quite some time. Um, so, yes, and he was strong and, and he was very consistent. He did have some bad luck uh, and some pretty bad finishes, but the top fives and the top tens were there. And you got to be consistent to win a championship. Yep. And also a lot of big money. He won uh, 50000 at Eldora. He won 50000 at Florence. Uh, he won 30000 at I-80. And also, from from a little personal thing from you and I, getting to see uh, Donald and Gina Bradshaw, who we've both known for some time, mm -hmm. seeing them have that kind of success. And we didn't get to, you know, as much as your dad wanted to go to victory lane at Charlotte <laughs> when T-Mac won the, the second race, obviously we couldn't because of the restrictions. But to, to get to see them down there and, and enjoying that, and, and I'm sure they, they – had to put a ton of money into this thing and a lot of support and um, just cool to see somebody that we knew yeah and I mean who better than T-Mac absolutely and that that is one I hate there weren't it wasn't the full stands there because that was his first late model win at Charlotte and um, if anyone's deserving to have a good victory lane celebration you know the donuts and smacking the roof of the car to have you know a crowd cheering for him 
Uh, but yeah, great, great for them, great for the Bratchers. You know, they've been in dirt race, well, racing in general, but dirt racing for so long. Um, and to see them put this kind of investment um, and have a great driver, it's just awesome to see. And then I had, uh, my, I got all three of my Lucas Owens wrong. I got the champion wrong. I said Devin Moran was going to be a dark horse. Devin Moran has an off year, eighth in points, only one win, eight top fives. He did get an East Bay win, but just never really got going. And then I said Josh Richards was going to go winless. And it looks like paring down to one car for that Boyer Dirt team helped because they had three wins. They were fourth in points. They won at Golden Isles, won at Brownstown. Um, so, yeah, my Lucas L picks just flat out suck, but I, I missed the mark completely. <laughs> well, only, only went one for three on this one. Um, I had I had uh, Davenport as a champion, and probably a, a good year in comparison to any driver would take it, but probably the worst year we've seen him have in a, while, uh, yeah. in a very long time. Uh, I mean, third in points, uh, three three wins, yeah, I think. three wins, um, but some of the worst mechanical luck, and and it was weird in Davenport's previous years, he was one, if he didn't qualify or, or, or heat race that well, he was always one to come up through the field um, during the race. And it was like flip-flop this year. He would start halfway decent, but that car would just fall off throughout. And I mean, they went through so many different changes, trying to hunt and find it. And again, you know, three wins, third in points, any, you ask any driver, they'll take that. But for him and his standard, very, very odd to see him struggle like that. Um, I did have Jimmy Owens as a dark horse or a champion, and of course he wins and has one of his best seasons um, since you know parting ways with Blunquist so many years ago. 11 wins, wins by 380 points, uh, pretty handedly there. Um, so good year for him. Uh, and this one, I'm scratching my head. Why? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering why you picked I, this one. I don't know. I just, I guess I, I was. You were being for, optimistic. I was being. I was pulling harder for him than he was for himself. I had the squirrel Brian Shirley staying on tour and having the second most wins and. And the main reason behind that is because 2019 was a great year for Brian Shirley. Um, yes, he's, he is Mr. Summer Nationals now, but he had so much success outside the Summer Nationals last year. The Arizona wins, they had uh, wins on both tours last year, um, and he didn't even make it past Speed Weeks, unfortunately. So, uh, but he did do his normal thing, jumped on the Hill Tour and won it again. Uh, four now champions for him on that. So. I don't know, maybe I was just hoping for the best for him. Well, I mean, I would have loved to have seen Shirley do it just because we both know just how talented he is just mm -hmm. from watching. But, you know, maybe this year of all years was a year to go back to what you're familiar with. Right. You know, take less chances, travel less. He knows the Hell Tour. That's right. The Owens one, I think we had <laughs> seen that kind of coming for a little bit because after, after he had led, left Bloomquist, he did the Club 29 deal, and I think he did the Barry Wright deal, and he was kind of, it seemed like he was searching for a little bit because he'd lost his dominance. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of started building back up, and then this year with that Rocket XR1, with the crew that he had assembled, the, yep, the, Cody, yeah. the people he had behind him, and kind of the pattern I'm just starting to recognize now as I've watched dirt late model racing more often, it's a lot of times it's who gets out of Florida the best. Yeah. And then it's, you know, not that that's the total deciding factor, but it's a lot easier to win the race when you're out front after Florida. Well, it's it's crazy for Jimmy because he's won historically throughout the year he comes on. And by the end of the year, he's strong. And uh, 
something to point to that is this year was his very first win at Volusia. That's crazy to think. I mean, this dude's what, been high doing 40s. It for a while, yeah. Yeah, high 40s. There's no, no telling how many races he's ran at Volusia. And then at the end of the year, how many times have we seen him win at Charlotte? You know, so usually he starts off slow and then around, you know, the money months, about midsummer, he comes on strong. And this year is kind of flip-flop. He started off very strong and arguably towards the end of the year kind of fell off a little bit. And maybe that was, well, we got such a big point lead, we can try some different things or whatever. Um, but, yeah, just a, a dominant year for him. And, and it was just the right package. He had the money behind him. He had, you know, the best chassis out there and the rocket stuff. And then having Cody Mallory and just the great uh, just team that he had around him. Um, and Jimmy's one of those guys once he gets strong. And, and 2019, like you said, we saw it come in 2019. He was in the mix in a lot of those races, but the man had more failures and, and just heartbreak losses, you know, blown engines, uh, holes in radiators, flat tires. Just He was there, but just couldn't put it all together. And this year, we got to see him put it all together. And as we look at World of Outlaws late models, it kind of dovetails in the sense of Rocket XR1s winning both national tours. Mm -hmm. Heck of a year for that chassis brand. Mm -hmm. Of course, we both got the champion. Well, actually, no, we did not <laughs> both get the champion. I got the champion right, but I feel like my grandma could have got the champion yeah. right. Brandon Shepard right. <laughs> uh, wins the championship. Probably driver of the year in dirt on dirt's eyes. I would, I would maybe lean toward Overton, but maybe that's because I just have Shepard fatigue. Yeah, and I, sh I shouldn't. It's not. It's not. Brandon's fault that I'm tired of seeing him win. He's just a heck of a driver in the best team. Mm -hmm. um, Daryl Lanigan, dark horse to win or to have more success. He did get a win in 12 top fives, but I think he's 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 decided now he's leaving Barry Wright. He's going back to the Rockets. Maybe next year will be that year for him. And then uh, <laughs> dumbly, <laughs> I said Brandon Shepard would not have the points locked up going into Charlotte. And That's I'm true. Pretty... You had it locked up three races before. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I went. I went kind of one-ish out of three. Yeah. But just another testament to how good Brandon Shepard is and how good that Rocket won. I can't remember the last time that Rocket won was not the dominant car. Oh yeah. Maybe it's... maybe the last time was when Scott won his Lucas Oil title a couple years ago. But I mean, still. Yeah, I mean, it, we saw Richards dominate in it, and now we're seeing Shepard dominate in it. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of like the Mercedes stuff with Formula One. It's great, best car and arguably best driver. And, I mean, when you get that combination together, I mean, you, you're you just going to be too tough to beat. I mean, these guys are, I mean, there's great drivers out there. There's great equipment out there. And, yeah, he'll have an off night for him as a sixth or a seventh. You know, it's not a top five, but you just don't see – you don't see mechanical failures. You don't see driver mistakes. You know, you, nothing that's going to deter him from having a good night. And it's funny because I heard somebody said one time they're they kind of being a little pessimistic or cynical about it, saying, "Well, it's, yeah, it's a it's a house car. They get data from everybody." I'm like, "All right, well, look at everybody's house car and tell me how it went." You know, T Mac had a good year as the de facto Longhorn house car, but. The Masters built house car had a terrible year. I mean, Hudson O'Neill didn't make it even to the finish. That's how bad they were. The Capital House car, Clanton, struggled on the Lucas Oil Tour, nowhere near the success that he's used to seeing. It's not a shoe in that a chassis brand's house car is going to be dominant. So don't take away from that team their success just because, well, they're in the same shop. Yeah, but they still go out there and out prepare everybody clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they've got that kind of, like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan mindset of 
all I want to do is win. All I want to do is be a champion. And if that means I got to make some sacrifices that other guys aren't willing to make as far as time in the shop, uh, preparation, whatever the case may be, they're willing to do that because it means that much more to them. You know, they're, those are the guys that they hate to lose more than they enjoy to win. Yeah. You know, and, and we've just seen it like, and it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna say it's plug and play because Josh Richards is a phenomenal driver himself, but that, that one, that Valvoline number one car is going to be the car to beat. Yep. So yep. How'd, you, how'd you do on your World Outlaw predictions? Uh, I went uh, two for three, so not too bad. Uh, I did say that there would be more Rocket Chassis wins than Team Zero wins. And at the beginning of the year, we had, you know, Scott, Ricky, and uh, uh, Chris Madden. Madden all in. Team Zero cars. Team Zero was arguably the hottest team to finish 2019 with the, with the run Madden was on. You know, Scott, even after coming back from the wreck, he even picks up a pretty big win. Um, and then, of course, you know, Ricky's Mr. Consistency there. But, uh, of course, that did not uh, last with, uh, you know, Smokey splitting and um, Ricky kind of splitting himself, you know, towards the end of the year. Uh, but that win total came 18-3, to three, so not even close, 18 uh, Rocket wins. And that's just for uh, the Outlaw regulars, not to include, you know, the amount of wins Owens and some of these other guys had uh, 14 alone for uh, Shepard. Um, I did have Ricky Weiss as being a dark horse to win the title, and he did finish second in the points. Um, previous year being his first year, he was third in the points. So, you know, maybe the numbers are telling us he might be a good contender coming next year. Be interesting to see how his own design uh, chassis, uh, which is going to be very similar to the Blue Chris design, um, see how that all pans out for him. Different crew members and stuff. Um, so we'll see what happens next year. And then, of course, the one I definitely got wrong was uh, Madden winning the championship. Um, man, just saying. I mean, who could have who could have predicted how that marriage would break up? I, you know, it's yeah. like it's like you know any, anyone who's been through divorced parents knows, and I you know I've been through it. You never think mom and dad are gonna break up. Yeah. You know, and and that was that looks so good. Madden is killing it at the end of 2019. He's winning these big money races. You know, him and him and Scott are are, are working together good. Ricky's doing good, and then. It just it just went kaboom, yeah. and they just they they lost their wig and they couldn't find it, and Madden leaves, and Scott's not back a hundred percent from his injury on his motorcycle accident, and then Ricky turns tails. Just, I mean, what a tumultuous year. Yeah, that was just it was just crazy to think because, like like we said, you know, Smokey just had all of all the drivers going into this year. I would say he had the most momentum behind him, and. When Smokey gets on the hot streak, we've seen what he could do, no matter who he was driving for, even in the Longhorn stuff. And my goodness, that was just, uh, somebody just threw a grenade in the middle of that, and now we're left picking up the pieces. Yeah, picking up the pieces now. It was just, I mean, pretty wild stuff, but that takes us to the end of 2020. And I think before we get into um, news and notes or what we're looking forward to in 2021, I think just to look back on the season as a whole, I think, some of the big things I I kind of wrote down here was number one, how much local and regional racing needs us race fans, and not that they've not that I've ever thought they didn't, but I think just so much more now. And to their credit, a lot of these shows where in like in in South Carolina and these states where the restrictions weren't as as stringent in Georgia, I mean you were seeing humongous crowds coming out people number one wanting to get out of the house and number two wanting a sense of normalcy we saw that when you went to a speedway Mm -hmm. earlier this year and they ran a few races before the the governor kind of cracked down on them and i think it was um 
just a further reminder, maybe a wake-up call to a lot of us that have kind of, you know, I've gotten out of being as faithfully attendant as I need to be, and this year has been the big up wake wake up call to me that I do need to be a little more supportive with buying tickets and making trips yeah. than I have been. Yeah, it's, doesn't mean I don't want to <laughs> go see a quality show, but I feel that kind of I feel that call to myself as just a race fan. It, it's it's been weird that we've seen um, attendance records break at certain tracks like 411 um, when they had the outlaws there. That was you know they're breaking records, um, and then certain races where there's not a soul in the stands. It's, been, it's just been so odd, but the the support factor, I think the the average fan realized, oh man, how much they missed it. I mean, you got your hardcores that are gonna show up every Friday night or Saturday night, you know, whenever the, the race is running, but the average fan that maybe goes to one, two, three a year, they realize, and, and then of course, with all of your ball and stick sports being shut down too, no, no sport really to watch on TV there for a stretch, they're like, man, I, I need some form of entertainment. So when the, op the opportunities did come or the tracks, you know, at least had limited tickets, my goodness, they were selling out so quick. And then I also had on there a little dig at NASCAR. How much, <laughs> how much NASCAR does not need us, <laughs> thanks to their TV money. Uh, you know, NASCAR, I, I've, I got a lot to rag on NASCAR about. I, I, I can appreciate that they kept a lot of those people employed that work for those teams. I, I, I do know some people that work in that. But, you know, with the dwindling attendance that's been going on in NASCAR, I sat there and thought, man, man NASCAR is hurting for money. No. They they get so much from TV that they almost the fans in the stands were just a bonus, not so much of a necessity, you know. And I know they're a lot of their tracks applied for the grants or whatever to help make up for what they lost. But I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of on the backside of NASCAR. Then I just it just doesn't you know, 500 miles of racing just doesn't entertain me like it used to. Yeah, the, and especially now this year with so much out there that was streaming. Yeah. Don't need it. Look how many options I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think with as attention spans just get shorter and shorter and shorter, they're gonna have to make some sort of adjustment because no one is gonna. Very few people I know, even hardcore NASCAR fans, do they watch it from green flag to checkered? You know, they'll watch the beginning, go do whatever, come back, catch the end, whatever the case may be. One one thing for NASCAR that they did this year that I think will benefit them and they should really look into in the future is these, was the midweek races when there was nothing yeah, going on. Yeah. yeah, the Wednesday night race, because that's pretty neat. You know, get off work, eat your supper, turn the TV on. Oh man, they're running Darlington, you know, or whatever the case may be. And I think that, because you're not competing really against anything, you know, because for half the year they're competing against football, which obviously you're not gonna win that battle. Um, so you're not really competing against anything on those midweek uh, stuff. So I think that's something to look, look into, um, but yeah, the, even when restrictions do kind of ease off, I don't know if you're going to see a resurgence on fan attendance at the track. I think it's going to be pretty close to the same. And then the last one I had that was, you know, I didn't want to write down a whole bunch, but the third thing was Kyle Larson, after everything he went through, betting his future on dirt racing, and in the end it ends up paying off. He gets another cup job driving for, for Hendrick. And now, more so than before, I think before he had some endearment to dirt racing fans in the same way that Tony Stewart did. Mm -hmm. and, and for it back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Now it's more. Yeah. Now it's like, that's our guy. Yeah. You know, it used to be, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I might watch him on Sunday because he came here and raced. Now, 
there's probably you got more rednecks across the country, <laughs> and rednecks is not just in the south. Rednecks are everywhere. Oh yeah, we're everywhere. There's more racing rednecks wearing Kyle Larson shirts than there's <laughs> ever been because instead of just sitting there and woeing as me, and you know he put in the work that he needed to on the PR end, but he also said I'm gonna put everything I got left into this dirt racing, and it paid off, and that was. Arguably one of the best seasons, if not the best season in dirt racing history of any kind. Oh yeah, and and across the board, everything from a, a midget to or, or an outlaw cart. I guess that would be below midget all the way up to a super late model in a 410 sprint. And the the thing that I can appreciate by Kyle, and I, I mean his nickname's Young Money, so you know all these guys always got money, money, money. But the kids just got talent to be able to go. I don't care if you're in the best of everything, but to go from that wide range of different types of cars and to be the man to beat in every car that you were in, um, that is just phenomenal. And I mean, we saw how the crowd reacted um, at um, at Portsmouth. He didn't he didn't even make the A main through the heat races or the B mains and stuff, and they gave him a provisional. And yeah, that's. You know, that's kind of a dig at the guys, you, your weekend warriors who, you know, well, why don't I get that shot? But the fans were there. If they did not let that black six car on the track, that place would have been would have gone nuts. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, just to see just to see how he was received um, and, and the fact that he didn't, he didn't pick and choose in the sense of he only ran, like, the big prestigious races. I mean, he ran every single Indiana Midget Week race. I watched all of them on Flow, Flow Sports. And he he ran every single race. He ran 360 races in Arizona. Um, I ran mean, a USAC, ran, I think, Silver Crown race. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't like the biggest race for each division. He would he was running at these like podunk races for 3,000 to win, as well as running for 50,000 to win at Eldora. You know, so that for me personally, on a personal level, that gained my respect and appreciation for him as a driver. It wasn't so much a I'm only going to hit these marquee events, so my name is going to be out there. It's like no, I just want to race. I just want to go out and have some fun and enjoy it. And another thing that, and this this can apply to all sports. It's not singular to racing, but the comeback. Yeah. And coming back from making a poor choice or making a mistake, we've all done it. Anyone mm -hmm. that says they haven't, you know, and, and this world we live in is a terribly judgmental place where you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to do anything wrong. And if you do, I mean, you're, you're cancel. basically castigated. You got the scarlet letter. Cancel you, culture, yeah, yeah. yeah, you cancel culture and done for life. And I think that played a lot in his popularity because a lot of people looked at that. And whether you agreed or disagreed how severe the infraction was that made him lose his ride, I mean, you, can, you, you know, to whatever extent on that part, but everybody can put themselves in the shoes of someone that, you know, looks back and said, man, I, I, I goofed that up. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I treated that person poorly. I did something wrong, but I still got to go out here and make a living. So I think that endeared him to a lot of people as well. Well, humility is a lost art and he could have very easily played the, the victim card. Um, he could have very easily just sat out the rest of the year and hoped that somebody gave him a shot back in NASCAR next year without him doing anything. And just off of prestige, talent, and money, you know, bringing in a sponsor um, alone. But no, he, you know, he apologized. He, he did the, the course um, that NASCAR made him do. And I mean, he, he did have to take some steps back. I mean, you got to sell that big old mansion that you ain't, you can't afford much anymore. And you um, had to, I think it knocked him down a little bit, maybe back into reality, if you will. Um, but he definitely put in the work to earn himself back into 
give me another shot and in the NASCAR. You got any observations on 2020 to add on top of those? Um, I might have stole your thunder. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> some of my stuff kind of leads into the news and notes segment, but uh, I think those are, are three of the big ones. Um, just the, the the adaptability that we saw and the amount of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and, and racing in general, I think that really was brought to light this year with the, you know, on Monday, them deciding where they're running that weekend, you know, or the, the Ray Cook deal. How can we get this together um, to run that first race back at his, you know, little track down there in Brasstown, and that being the biggest viewed pay-per-view race when that happened, um, and just seeing like changes on the fly, man. Because I mean, Pennsylvania, uh, for instance, you know, they were still having the weekly race, and even though they were technically supposed to be shut down, and then they have to shut down, and then you've got the All-Star. Uh, circuit champions were supposed to run at Lincoln that weekend. They don't know until two days beforehand if they're going to have fans in stands or not, if they can even race or not. And to be able to make those adjustments, it was just so impressive. Yeah. Yep. You had to be ready for when the, like uh, Langley Austin at Franklin County Speedway told me, he said, you were operating knowing in the back of your head that at any point the other shoe could drop. Right. So you had to just, like you said, adjust on the fly. Yeah. So that takes us into news and notes Yes. over the off season. So buddy, you've got the research. What do you got in front of you? Um, I'm going to do most recent news and notes, uh, dealing, still dealing with this year, but just something that has not happened that much to prestigious drivers involved. But last weekend, very big news for the Formula One world. We got to see the best driver, the best car, not be together. Lewis Hamilton uh, has a positive COVID test and he's out and they put in George Russell, who is on the worst team, uh, Williams, in that car. I hate how the worst team has my last name. <laughs> I mean, yes. I wish it was something else. Exactly. <laughs> Why couldn't it be Smith? Why it be Duke Racing? Yeah, Duke yeah. Racing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so you get to see, you know, a guy who's, who is talented. George Russell is talented. And if you follow Formula One, his teammate, uh, Nicholas Latifi, is 18th, 19th, 20th every race. You know, and and just not there to compete. But Russell has been so close to finishing in the points so many times this year. He's had an 11th, a 12th. Uh, he's been in that range. So the talent is there. It's just the equipment's not there to match it. And so we get to see him in Lewis Hamilton's car, um, the best car out there. He just barely misses setting pole time leads from the drop of the green. And then, of course, the terrible heartbreak towards the end of the race uh, with the mistakes on pit road, putting the wrong tires on. Then he has this phantom puncture there towards the end. He still gets to come back to eighth, but I mean, the dude just showed the world the amount of talent he has. Um, the race was his to win. Even after the, the faux pas on the um, pit stop, he still comes back to second and is gaining on the leader with a few laps to go. You know, everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat and then has the other puncture and stuff. So I know we saw like when Earnhardt was out of the car, Ricky Rudd, if I'm not mistaken, jumped in that car for a stint. When that, that was it, '96? Because I remember it, it was at um, at Indy. Someone hopped in, but I don't think it was Ricky. Cause I, think I Ricky thought Ricky drove the car for, um, and I, I should have looked that up. But I, I thought Ricky drove the car for some reason. I, but that was just an example. Like you see, like the best guy or the most iconic guy, yeah, not in that car and someone else in it. That that's, you know, it's a crazy deal. It's a crazy deal. Yeah. Thinking on those subs, I got to thinking, and the only one that really came to mind to me was uh, 2002. And the only reason I, I really knew this was because at the time, my uncle was working for Ganassi. 
And I think it was an O2 Sterling Marlin had come out of the gate hot, driving the course light 40, the silver bullet, and was leading the points, and he gets hurt. Jamie McMurray gets tapped to fill in, and then Jamie's second race in the car wins the Coca-Cola 600. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. And it parlayed him into having a full-time career yeah. for quite a while. Yep. Um, but driver substitutes are just tough because it's so much of racing is – is is built upon this is our driver our driver has this feel mm -hmm. because our driver has this feel this is how we set up the car this is how we this is how we choose our shocks our springs right, right. everything in the setup you don't just you're not just throwing a robot in there so it's hard to find success stories of substitutes because the team is built around this person driving the car. And we see substitutes a lot, and you know they jump in the car and they have okay finishes, but you know we, we you don't see like the very top guy get substituted for. Like you didn't see somebody jump, jump in Jimmy Johnson's car, no. you know, and race, or, or you know pick a motorsport. You know you didn't see someone out there in John Force's you know funny car or whatever. So it was just, it was big to see Lewis Hamilton like the face of Formula One and the the toughest guy out there not running. You know what, Funny Car made me think of one, and it was when um, Ashley Force Hood had to step aside because I think she wanted to start a family or maybe she had gotten pregnant, and Mike Neff had to jump in the car. And Mike Neff, I think, was the crew chief already, so then he was crew chief and, and driving, and Neff was winning. Yeah. He was winning rounds. Now, he didn't like he didn't like doing all the, the obligations that a driver has, and that's what I think led down to, all right, we need to find someone to drive this car, and, and, and Courtney got up there. But there was there was a substitute, a team that was built around, you know, John's daughter, who was a great driver, and, you know, she had to step out, and, yep. and Neff stepped in and filled in fine. But it's so much harder, I think, in circle track racing yeah. because you're going for a feel, whereas in drag racing more so, I think you're, you're going for performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, – yeah. What else you got on the news and notes? Um, I think uh, some big news uh, that definitely for us is the amount of dirt involved with NASCAR next year. We got uh, dirt coming back to Bristol. Um, and then, of course, uh, the news with uh, trucks going to Knoxville. Um, the dirt to Bristol thing I'm very excited for personally because the last time they did this in uh, 2000, um, Dad and I were supposed to go. Family event comes up. We didn't get to go, and it winds up, you know, just being just an amazing thing. And they said at that time they'd never do it again. So I'm so excited for it to come back. Um, not so much for NASCAR being on the dirt. I really, as banked as that track is, and the way those cars are, I don't think it's going to be as exciting yeah. as. Uh, it's going to be neat to see, but I, I think the actual racing part of it's not going to be that exciting. They're just big, heavy cars. Yeah, but with them announcing that they're going to run some of the local stuff um super late models and the uh ump mods and all that stuff that's going to be fun to see yeah i'm i'm, I'm glad maybe this will be the catalyst that lets them know hey let's let's make, let's make this an annual thing and maybe not a world finals type event but maybe something in the spring yeah and it don't have to it it doesn't have to pair with nascar's cup series or a nascar division racing there you can put this show on and people will come watch it i want to go watch it even with the conflicts it has yeah so i mean i'm glad that's at least coming out of it but i think like you said those with the, with the cup cars it's going to be kind of like the truck race at eldora it's going to be something cool something different but as far as like performance and speed and 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 passing, it's not going to be like you would see at a dirt lake show. Yeah, I I got a feeling you're not going to 
you're not going to see two wide racing much. You know, they're not going to be able to run a cushion or anything like that. I think it's going to be a bottom feeding kind of race. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know uh, what kind of adjustments they're going to make to the car. I'm sure, you know, ride height and all, and all that kind of stuff is going to be different. But that that's definitely one. I know they've been cutting horsepower on these cars on some of the smaller tracks. That's definitely one they need to let them let them rip. They need that 850, 900 horsepower there. What do you think about the trucks moving from Eldora to Knoxville? Because now you go from brown dirt, a little more banking, to black dirt and a lot flatter surface. I think it's, when, when they did the Eldora race, I believe I said then that Knoxville needs to be next in line. And not so much for the track, but just for the facility there, because that place, I mean, holds 40, 50,000 people, a lot more than Eldora does. Um, it's a nice, nice track, it's on the fairgrounds. Um, there's plenty to accommodate for the amount of fanfare that's going to bring in with it. As far as the quality of racing, I think with it being flatter, you're going to, they'll, I think it's going to be easier for your pavement guys to transition, transition to it because it's going to drive more like a paved track because that gumbo, you know, it's got a lot more grip into it. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be good, slightly better than Eldora and Eldora wasn't that great in my opinion for the trucks. I mean, it was neat to see, but um i'm excited for it i'm glad i'm glad knoxville's getting it knoxville's just seems like a, a pretty it almost feels like pre, uh, it almost feels like uh falls in the sense of where the track is it's right in the middle of the city yeah. so you better figure out where to park and you're gonna do some walking but the track is just flat out amazing and that black dirt like you said it's there's a reason the Knoxville Nationals are there. It's a it's a hell of a facility. Yeah, it's the sprint car capital of the world. Um, you know, you got the Hall of Fame there. I really I really hope I, I haven't seen any announcements, but I really hope they do run some sort of support division with them, like they did with the trucks at Eldora. Um, just so some of your Cup fans can see a dirt car at you know one of the most iconic dirt tracks. I think Brock the Lab was uh, really fired up about those topics. Oh, oh yeah, he was trying to chime in as best. Um, here's one for you: news and notes. Uh, All Star Circuit of Champions putting a lot more money on the line for their 2021 and we both agree it's a different it's not so much of a thing of competing with the world of outlaws because that's a national tour versus a mostly regional tour but what do you think about that deal with all that money they're finding to put in and if not compete be a darn near good substitute for guys that Maybe if you're not finishing good enough on World of Outlaws, you just run, go down and run All Stars. Well, a lot of if you talk to a lot of the the All Star guys, like the front runners, um, you know, like an Aaron Wrights or a Corey Lyson, they'll say the biggest difference between running the All Star stuff and the Outlaw stuff is a Outlaws you have to be good at qualifying, whereas All Stars they do the redraw. So even if you qualify a pole, um, you know, you're starting fourth, fifth, you know, in a heat race kind of thing. So you, you have to race your way the whole night, whereas Outlaws, they reward you for how good you are from the very beginning. But the uh, other key factor is with the All-Star guys, there's, you know, four or five guys to beat that follow that tour. And then, you know, maybe two or three local guys. Whereas Outlaws, there's 12 guys following that tour and they're all very tough to beat, plus your local guys. Um, so I think adding the money, I'm happy for for those regional guys who that is their big race of the years when All-Stars come into town or when the Outlaws come in town, but they can't afford to do the whole tour. But when the All-Stars come in town, at least I have more of a chance of competing or finishing higher up. But also I think it makes it a much better you know, funnel system towards the Outlaws. And I'd love to see them work more together for that, you know, kind of like a AAA major league kind of thing. 
Um, you know, they've got the money we saw this year. They kind of branched out a little more in their traveling, ran some races in Oklahoma, dipped down into Texas, where it was primarily, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana kind of area. Um, so I'm, I'm glad for it, you know, as a whole, it makes the sport better. And um, I really think it's gonna, if we can get more of those guys transferring over, more of a funnel system, I'm all for it. I kind of like how they do their points too, because they don't start counting points until after speed weeks. Because right. they go down to Florida as well, mm -hmm and run, I think, East Bay, and they're going to Screvin this year and a few other things, but they don't start counting points till they come back up north and uh, go to Attica. And I kind of like that because all those northern guys <clears throat> want to come on down to Florida and race anyway because it's cold and miserable where they are. And, you know, the ones that can get their stuff together and can go down there and race, they might hit some of the outlaw shows too maybe or at least try to make the fields, but they can go down there and race and it's just for the money. And if maybe they didn't, if there's guys that wanted to run the tour, but weren't going to have the money or the resources to be able to go down to Florida and race as much as they do down there, that they could still compete for the championship and not be behind the eight ball for when it's, you know, the, I call it like the regular season, whereas Florida is just, it's just so much racing for everybody. And, and for them specifically, you know, half their field is going to be outlaw drivers anyway. So, you know, it's not fair to the guys who do want to follow the tour, knowing that they probably ain't even got a sniff at the field there. And you don't have to commit so early. You know, a lot of these tours, you have to commit to running the full tour, you know, by that set point. Um, so I agree with you. I'm glad that they don't do the points down there. What about Eldora? Yeah. Two Kings Royals. We're waiting on more announcements. Maybe two Dreams or two Worlds. Yeah. That 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 uh, that shocked me because man, just the purse three hundred fifty thousand dollars and winning Ooh. purse alone. <laughs> yeah, that's and uh, the betting odds for somebody to sweep that weekend, I'm sure, would be pretty crazy. But I mean, already, I mean, one race for one hundred seventy-five thousand wins ridiculous. But I, I guess old Tony got some money from somewhere <laughs> to throw that much money in line. And I love that it's all in the same week, man. It ain't yeah. split up. And we're here. We're gonna race. Very exciting to see. Yeah, I was glad to see that. I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be maybe two dreams or at least two worlds or something like that. You know, I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see that they found a way to put any kind of racing on last year. And I'm kind of, in a sense, I'm, I, I kind of applaud what they did. They said this isn't going to be the world and this isn't going to be the dream, right. but we are still going to put something on. So I, I could understand that, you know. And between the two, I would I would prefer them to do two dreams versus two worlds because the world, that is the granddaddy of them all, you know. And, and I, with the sprint car stuff, I'm fine with them doing two Kings Royals, but they're they're still going to do one Knoxville National because that, that's the one you don't mess with. Yeah. And so if, they, if you are going to run two late model races there, two dreams is fine because it's typically less cars anyway. Um, but leave, leave the world alone, you know, because there's been years where it's been rained out. They didn't make it up. And, I mean, you look on the back of the T-shirt, it says, you know, rain date. You know, they didn't even try to make it up. So just leave it alone and, uh, you know, two dreams I'm good with. You got anything else on your list there? Um, just uh, quick hits on these. Uh, kind of starting to see some of the um, rookie battles and, and guys who have um, – committed to different series next year um i'll just point out to you real quick on the lucas oil side of things with an already very stacked field of drivers we see uh, kyle strickler and finally rtj gets a, a full-time ride um so that's going to be a very fun rookie battle because both guys are I, i'll say arguably equally talented um both guys coming from the modified ranks there that's going to be a fun one to watch uh, and then on the sprint car side of things uh, we get to see two um, all-star guys with uh, Aaron Reitzel finally getting a full-time ride and Brock Zierfoss, uh jumping on as a rookie. That's going to be a fun battle. Um, 
with the World of Outlaws. Yeah. yeah, with World of Outlaws. Between those two, which one do you think is going to be pretty, uh, going to be the best one to watch, I guess? It's 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 tough. I think maybe the sprint car one. That Lucas Oil Tour is so top-heavy. I mean, I think it's going to be tougher for Ricky Thornton Jr. and Kyle Strickler to get a Lucas Oil win than it will be for Brock Zierfoss or Aaron Reitzel to, to sneak in there and get one, I think. And neither one's going to be easy, obviously. But like everybody else with a pulse that's seen Ricky Thornton Jr. race anything, baby carriage, dirt late model, <laughs> grocery cart, don't matter. The guy can flat out wheel. Yep. I put him I put him as far as that driving, just that pure driving ability, I kind of put him up there toward Overton where it's yep. just like, I don't care what he's racing, I want to watch it. Right. Strickler, awesome. Seems like he's got a good opportunity, hoping that he can parlay the success that he had at Eldora before the tire went flat and show that that wasn't a fluke. I can drive this car, you know, so looking forward to that. But finally, Aaron Reitzel, mm -hmm. Brock Zierfoss, I'm, that that might be a good dark horse for me just to see what he can do because I think a lot of the attention is going to be on Reitzel because mm -hmm. he's been the all-star guy for a couple of years now winning their championships. And I think he's going to have more pressure on him uh, just from pundits and people that watch than, than maybe Zierfoss. I think the two caveats that we have to mention here, though, is – the the success that Reitzel and Strickler had was in their own equipment. They're both driving for different teams next year. That's true. And for Strickler, a different chassis, if I'm not mistaken. He was Longhorn and driving yeah, for a rocket now. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be interesting how not only do they adapt to new teams and new chassis, but also to the tour life. Um, you know, Reitzel has been the man to beat with the All-Stars for you know a couple of years now. And, you know, he had talked about he was going to wait till the kids were of age, you know, school age before he moved on. But just this opportunity came with the Roth guys, which that's a great car. You know, we've seen Pittman and, and so many others have success in it. But I think that adapting not only to new teams, but new teams on new tours is going to be pretty fun to watch. My last quick hit on them will be uh, getting to see Rockingham Speedway active again. The cars, the Solid Rock Curious Cars Tour on asphalt has announced that uh, their 2021 season opener is going to be there. It's getting leased by the operator of Wake County Speedway. Um, so the old 1.017 mile Rockingham Speedway is going to be active again. Um, and it's Car Store, so it's not some unsanctioned race where you're really not sure who's going to show up. Car Store has kind of a established group of guys that do come and race, and they attract, you know, your Josh Berries, your Junior Motorsports guys, the the kind of top guys in late model racing in this part of the country. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, I get to go look at the track in January. Um, Pit Road TV is going to be going down there to do some interviews and stuff, and I, I told Tony Stevens I'd come help. It'll be interesting just to, number one, see cars on the track again. Number two, see what the tire wear is going to look mm -hmm. like because it's it's going to be a little more worn-out surface. Way bigger track. They're used to half miles. This thing's a full mile and then some. Mm -hmm. And then uh, also seeing logistically for, uh, for Tony on the streaming side because he does the streaming service, all the hoops he's got to jump through because it's hard enough to figure out how to get the cameras working at a local short track, much less... A, a fossil that's been sitting there <laughs> lifeless for nine years yeah. and he was telling me about what they're they got to figure out how to run the fiber optic lines and some of these other things that it's going to take but just the fact that there's going to be some racing there because i feel like rockingham got done kind of a bad hand by nascar you know february and november races in north carolina are not ones that even diehards want to go sit no. out there and watch 
and you know someone else got their dates and whatever but i'm just glad to see the old track alive again yep. for, even if it's just one race yeah that's awesome i've got uh, privilege to see you know a handful of bush races down there and a cup race or two and i mean outside of freezing you your butt off it it's uh it's a fun track and it's just unique the shape the banking the tire wear and stuff so i really i really hope that it pays off for them. i know that they attempted with the trucks and they had like the big super stock race there and stuff i really i really hope that the a that they can have fans in the stands i guess um and b if they can i hope it's a good support you know much like a late model race at martinsville kind of thing yep so that leads us into something else that came up you know this year with all the with everything going on in politics, and I don't know if I don't know if you know, buddy, but we had an election this year. Did we? Yeah, uh, someone talked about it on the news for a minute or two. Okay. And mm. um, <laughs> a lot of the time, I don't think I get that channel. A lot of the times, what happens with these elections is uh, if you don't like the results, you demand a recount. Absolutely. Uh, it happened in two thousand in Florida. Conspiracy. Seemed to happen this year. <laughs> uh, don't care what side you're on. You know, it's not a political show, but. I got to thinking. We got to thinking about this whole recount thing and trying to go back and revisit things where you don't like the results. <laughs> and we tried to both come up with a couple of things, maybe from this year, that were like hey, maybe we could get a recount on that, <laughs> a redo. So uh, we'll ping pong this. So, buddy, why don't you give us one? All right, I, I did one from this year, and I just did one from past. Okay. Um, so from this year specifically, we've been talking about it a little bit. Uh, Ricky Thornton Jr. Uh, the World Outlaws uh, late models ran two races at uh, Davenport Speedway. Now Davenport Speedway is a unique track. It's a, a very large half mile track and then on the infield they have a quarter mile track. And they ran the, the big track one night, ran the small track the other night. Um, he wins on the big track and then they're running the small track and still some controversy to it but it appears that he wins they come off turn four brandon shepherd is on the top ripping it he's on the bottom they come to the line and the camera angle was not set dead you know at the start finish line it was kind of cocked to the left so when the camera angle turns as the cars are coming by it appears thornton's in front both guys come to victory lane nose to nose nobody knows who wins even rick eshelman the announcer says and thornton gets two in a row um, after you know checker flag waves they come in um, and then it's come they uh, come over the PA and say Brandon Shepard wins by 0 .007 seconds and so the officials jump underneath the car they have a rule of where the transponder has to be mounted yep. now what a lot of these guys will do is they'll put the, the little bag that the transponders are in they'll mount that and then they'll put the transponder somewhere else on the car it's kind of like a little yeah. trick that they can do for those that don't know the old rule in dirt racing is always usually right rear axle tube. Yeah. So the transponder is supposed to be toward the back of the car, but in almost any form of racing, someone has got caught putting that transponder in the front, <laughs> the of, the front car. of the car. And, and they put they have like dummy ones on there, like I said. Oh, yeah. yeah, they have it all over there. And in Thornton's case, unfortunately, he did not have his at the front of the car. It was about two two and a half feet behind where it's supposed to be mounted. Why it was further back, I'm not sure. Um, but where it was actually mounted, Shepherds was in the correct spot. So they go off a transponder and the transponder gives Shepherd the win. So I'm sure Thornton wishes he could have a recount on that and move it <laughs> in the correct spot and he would have won two in a row. I wouldn't be surprised if guys uh, could find a way in racing because everybody finds a way around the rules. If they could find a way to like have a switch in the car of all right, count this transponder, not this transponder. <laughs> yeah. If they could find a way. My my one of my recounts for twenty twenty that I wish we could redo was the pH levels in the track prep at the dirt track at Charlotte. And I say that 
Wednesday, Thursday night, we went down. We were there all four nights. Wednesday, right. Thursday night, we went down there. It got dusty, but you could still see, and it was still a, a, a decent show. Yeah, it went bad. Not the best show, but it was still a decent show. We saw Brandon Overton and Tim McCready win. Sa uh, Friday night, first night for the sprint cars, it gets more dusty. Mm -hmm. But we can still kind of see the racing. Saturday night was the worst track prep I'd ever seen at that place. We literally could not see at all. Um, they had we were cautions that the dust settled. The drivers couldn't see. Yeah, we were coated in it, and it was it, it, it kind of it was a it was a it was a 2020 <laughs> way to end the year as race fans. And dirt track at Charlotte has gone back, and their their guys posted that uh, the pH levels were off with the new dirt. Here's what we need to do, and they 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 appear to be getting it fixed. I hope they get it fixed. But that part, I'd be like, looky here, go get some cow dung. <laughs> I never have heard of measuring the pH at the dirt track. Apparently, it turned into a thing. Yeah. But let's go recount that. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm all for that. I think I'm still getting dust out of my ears with Q-tips on that one. Yeah, that was that was a little miserable that final night. Um, I felt like I was at Cherokee. Oh, my gosh. For one of them Lucas Oil races we went to where we sat too close. <laughs> And we were just getting pelted. <laughs> I, I was the the only decent thing about as bad dusty as it got, as high up as we were sitting, it was almost like flakes of dust versus like the hard stuff. Whereas like at, at uh, Friendship, when that place gets dusty, good gosh, you feel like you're sitting in a sandblaster watching the race, or like you said, as close as you have to sit at Cherokee. But yeah, it was pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, what was your other one? I'll go. I'll go historic, and um, I will just uh, give you a phrase here, and you know where I'm going with this. There's no green light. Oh, the 25 pounds light <laughs> at the scales. 25 pounds light at the scales. That uh, I, I'm sure Mr. Bloomquist, and he's, he argued it, threatened to sue and, and all that kind of stuff. But for those who do not know, um, the man won uh, $100,000 there and comes across the scales and no green light backs up, comes back. And the closest he got was within, I think it was 12 pounds. And so he gets DQ'd, Jonathan Davenport inherits the win. And Bloomquist goes from winning $100,000 to $2,000, like that. Mm. So, um, of course, you know, a lot of controversy there. He, he um, puts the car in the trailer, leaves it alone. When they get back to Tennessee at his shop, he pulls it out, pulls it straight on his uh, scales, and he, made, and he was cleared by 20 pounds. Um, you know, he gets the local governments involved with when was the last time the scales were, you know, calibrated. calibrated. And several drivers actually that weekend, most, you know, obviously that's the, mo the biggest one um, as far as controversy-wise, but there were several guys that weekend, uh, Jimmy Owens, um, I think Overton, and, um, they, you know, in the prelim stuff, they were light at scales and they had like a big conglomerate was going to sue, but then just didn't really turn out where it's going to be worth it. So they dropped it. But I'm sure if uh, he could recount how much weight he put on that car or if they could recount how the scales on that, <laughs> Scott would be all for that. It's a pretty good one. I'll, my, my last one I did was, was for this year and it was Brandon Overton. And to me, Overton driver of the year if not right there with bishop won i think 26 races this year but even with that heck of a year brandon overton nine other times in 2020 was leading a race mm -hmm. and either broke or had flats so even with nine races that got away then maybe that's the best term that those races got away even with nine gotaways he still won 26 races in 2020 which makes me think, even if he gets four of those nine back, doesn't break. And I understand part of the sport is not only is the driver got to make it to the finish, but the equipment's got to make it there. I get that. But even if 
four of those nine he doesn't break or have something go wrong. 30, that would have been 31 wins. Well, um, was it the first round of Speed Weeks or the comeback? First. The uh, second one, he either, it was a stretch. He won DNF, won DNF. It was like two, it was like three, four or so that in a row. And the ones they did have the DNFs, like you said, he was leading and something happened or it was in contention and something happened. But it was like, like clockwork, you know, gonna win and you know what's coming the next night. Yeah. Unfortunately. Just unreal. But still, heck of a year for overtime. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, hard to recount 26 wins. Just amazing and just reminding us that that year with Coulter where his performance was down, the wins were down, the problem wasn't the driver. Right. The problem was something else. And nothing against those guys. You know, they're, they're still doing their thing now with Matthew Nance, but the problem wasn't the driver. The driver, when he's when he's got that car, when he's got a race car and it's in his hands and he's able to like like you you say it all the time when he's got time to massage on and to work on and do what he wants to do with it it's hard to it's hard to find a better driver in the country that's true i mean the talents I, we have a nickname for him yeah. but it's not appropriate <laughs> What's that, gun? that is a driving son of a gun yes sir. um yeah and 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 you saw that i mean even with the culture situation he's he did the best in that car than anyone has ever done in that car i mean he still got a few wins and whatnot so yeah you have any more recounts or are you done recounting? I'm done recounting, that's, that's man. That's enough recounting. Recount. We'll, we'll wait and see what the news tells me tomorrow. <laughs> so that brings us to we decided to do a uh, surprise question or two. Something we went, we go, we go over everything we're going to talk about on the show, except this part of the show. Yes. Buddy likes, Buddy likes surprising me. That's I think right. he likes spontaneous combustion. He likes seeing me stammer and struggle. <laughs> so. Why don't you go ahead? Give, give me give me something I'm not prepared for. You just choose a number one through three. I'll, I'll leave you. I'll, we'll, we'll start and see where it goes. Two for Rusty. Two for Rusty. All right. <laughs> With this being the Christmas season, even though it doesn't feel like it today, what is the best or one of the best racing-themed Christmas gifts you ever received? Ooh, well, can I count one that I didn't get to cash in on? Absolutely. Okay. The lady I dated before my wife, 2012, I got, for Christmas from this lady, I got tickets to the Southern 500. And it was when NASCAR was doing the throwback stuff and that had kind of just got going. And, um, you know, that was, that was the first time I think I got, uh, I think that was the first time I got NASCAR tickets as a gift for Christmas. Very cool. Problem is, we broke up before the race, <laughs> so Can't take I didn't a gift get back, to. Dollar. Yeah, I didn't get to go. I gave that gift up, but that, that was a pretty cool one, I guess. But you know what? If anyone wants to buy me a subscription to Flow Racing for twenty twenty one for this Christmas to go next year, go. that would turn into my favorite Christmas theme present. <laughs> All right. All right. Now your turn. I only prepared one for you. All right, that's fine. Uh, will you watch? the bristol nascar race on dirt i will be watching it live i will be there um a friend of mine who is definitely a nascar head um but he's he's not so hardcore nascar I, i'm able to peel him away to a dirt race and i think we went to vr before together uh so letting them branch out a little bit but uh the, i'm pretty sure it was the week of that they announced they were going to do that he called me and said, hey, got to get in a group of guys to go. Not sure how many tickets are going to be able to sell. We want to get our tickets early. Are you interested in going? And absolutely, man. I'll, I'll go. And even if it is a clunker of a race, I can at least say I was there. Um, and now that they've announced that they're running, you know, a little 
week of dirt racing there, I'll probably already be up there uh, for something going on up there. So, yes, I will be watching, and I will be there live. You know, give me another one. I'll give you another one. I just thought of one. So okay. give me another one. Give me three for Dale. Three for Dale. All right. Last weekend at uh, at the race at Bulls Gap, the Jardine, uh the Extreme Dirt Car Series race at Bulls Gap, um, we saw Bloomquist debut a LS-based motor for the Super Late models. It's a, it's a LS427. Um, he qualified, started second, uh, qualified great, led the first 10 laps, hole in the radiator, obviously not the motor's fault, you know, cost him, you know, getting to finish the race. So that, that engine being an LS-based aluminum block, all that, with all bolt-ons, $28,000. Whereas we know a typical super late model engine now, a Durham engine, you know, your Clements, the popular ones, they're running anywhere forty-five dollars to $50,000. That might be on the low end, honestly. I've been, I've heard sixties. Well, I was, I was trying probably, to. It probably differs, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll say forty-five plus. Okay. So to be, of course, this is a very very small sample size. There are some guys that run the LS motors in like your steel block um, classes and whatnot across the country, but to be that competitive, if it's if this is something that can transfer across the board at, at different tracks, size tracks and whatnot. How do you see that as being an engine option for the future cost-wise versus, I know they attempted the 525s and you have some 525 series, but it didn't really, it kind of, it's kind of flatlined. And most of your 525 classes are letting steel heads run with them now because it didn't really take off, I think, as much as had hoped for, or it took off and then it's kind of flatlined. But as a future cost wise in the uh, you know to kind of cut down on it how do you see the ls motor playing out it will be a cheaper option until it is not yeah and i say that because in racing we have a terrible habit of taking things that are supposed to be money saving options and we mess them up crate racing is a great example crate racing was supposed to be not spending that much on your motor and now people spend absurd amounts of money on a 604 crate engine that was supposed to be cheaper. U-car racing is the same way. U-car claim rule should be 500 bucks. People spend five, seven grand buying U-cars yeah. to win a hundred bucks. Yeah. I think it's, I'm glad that someone is out there venturing out trying to find a cheaper option because dirt lay model engines are just insanely expensive. And for the most part, the purses have not gone up so we're, we're paying more money to win the same money. It's, I like it. I like that someone thought outside the box and is deciding to do it. I think the big caveat or the big question is going to be, how does it hold up over a season? Because these guys run so many programs. How does it hold up race 25, race 30? And I, I don't know if they put that many races on a single engine anymore, but, you know, it's not 36 NASCAR races. This is this is a long season. It's a grind. Yeah. And I think Donnie Schatz ran into probably something similar with that Ford engine. You know, the motor works great. Has it hold up over 90 races. Right. So it's it'll be a cheaper option until we get a hold of it in racing and we make it a $40,000, $50,000 LS motor. Right, and right then back to where we are now. We're right back to where we okay. were. Okay. So. Here's the other one for you. Okay. So we, we talked about Ricky Thornton and Kyle Strickler uh, announcing they're coming out on the Lucas Tour, which is already a pretty stacked field. Should one or both of those guys just go run World of Outlaws instead? 
because the money doesn't seem to be i know lucas oil's got maybe some more prestigious races but as far as the money stacks up they're pretty even maybe a little more travel world outlaws but a little more point fun maybe it, it, it's it's ticker tack should one of if, or both of those guys just go run world outlaws and have a maybe a better chance at winning well if i'm not mistaken has there been any new drivers commit to the outlaws yet do we even have a outlaw class yet I think the only one that announced that had not was not on it previous year was Boone Briggs said he was coming back. Well, has Overton officially made it that no. he's running Outlaws yet? At the time of this recording, December what is today? December twelfth. No, no okay. commitment from Overton or Clanton. Okay. Hmm. I would personally, I think it's going the easy route if you go if there if you don't have any competition. Uh, to do that the that's a tough one man because it makes sense for Strickler's deal because that team's based out of Indiana um, and that's where I, I know he's prepping the cars and stuff here in Mooresville but the team hub is there um, so that's a majority of the tracks that they run at in you know travel wise it just makes sense and of course you know your car owners and your sponsors you know they're they're going to want to go to these races so um, I get that one um, and then RTJ um, I guess it uh, logistically makes more sense for him too, um, for where he's located out of um, as well. So um, I think the the Lucas, I think it's easier for guys to run as far as the amount of benefits that come with being a tour regular. Warello has great tour has great benefits as well, um, but I think with the the diversity of tracks that they go to, um, the amount of money they get to run for. I would pick Lucas Oil over World Outlaws if I was running the rookie tour myself. Okay. Yes, yeah. I was wondering about that because I think it's. I think a lot of it would have to depend on what's your confidence level at a lot of these tracks, because if you feel like you can run better at more of these Lucas tracks as opposed to the ones the Outlaws hit, or vice versa, but you know Lucas Oil, you're running into you know T Mac Davenport Owens. Um, you know, along with everybody else, you know, I don't want to go down the full roster. Outlaws, you know, you're going against Shepard, you know, Chase Youngins, um, Dennis Erb, you know, some of those. So it's not as maybe the names aren't as prestigious. It's still tough to do a national tour regardless. But I've kind of wondered about that because it seems like, you know, do you go to Lucas and take a chance on getting your brains beat in more yeah. just trying to run 10th? Or do you go run with the outlaws and maybe you're running for fourth or fifth instead? Yeah, I think I think these guys understand going into it, and no matter what they say, their realistic expectations. I mean, they know they're not going to, you know, go out and set the world on fire whichever tour you run. And and I think it would be easier to finish better in in the world outlaws because it's B Chef and everybody else uh, to be there. On the Lucas side, it is very top heavy, um, but. I think it, it it may come down to the you know I want to be the best, so I need to run against the best. And so if I am getting you know the pudding beat out of me every night, you know some guys learn better that way. Or when they do knock off that win, it feels like more of an accomplishment versus you know maybe looking up into a win on that law tour when Shepard has an off night. Because really, I mean Brandon Shepard, Ricky Weiss, I mean who else are you really are you competing with? Yeah. nightly with outlaws so yeah i mean that's a tough one two sentences or less should overton join a national tour or stay doing his independent schedule mm. that's a tough one 
Because I'm on the fence. He would be a great feather in the cap for World of Outlaws, I think, more than Lucas Oil. Because Lucas Oil's got the stars. If he went World of Outlaws, that's a huge feather in their cap. But if I'm Overton, I think I kind of like the freedom of picking and choosing. I say join Outlaws because of the the controversial, is it Driver of the Year, Shepard or Overton? Put them both on the same tour, same tracks, battle it out for a year, see what happens. Because yeah. I think Overton's finally in a ride that he's comfortable with and he's going to be there for a while. We've seen him, much like Madden, jump from ride to ride to ride. You know, He's not in the same car for more than two years, it seems like. So I would love to see, you know, Scott, if, you know, initially that's why he wanted to jump on. Obviously the sponsor had a lot to do with Drydeen, but he had a good contingent of drivers with him, Ricky and Smokey, and they were going after the one. And then like we just talked about earlier, just the grenade comes in for multiple reasons, blows all that up, one runs away with it. You get Overton in there, younger guy, better backing, better equipment, and let's let them guys hash it out and see what happens. All right. I think that ought to be enough to get us through the Christmas holiday, <laughs> <laughs> through, the, through to the new year. That's right. That's but, right. Uh, heck yeah. Thank you as always, buddy. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. From the bottom of my heart and my co-host, Buddy Payne's heart, we sincerely appreciate you listening to our podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure to make these. We have a ton of fun recording these the friendship chemistry that me and buddy have had for years i feel like it just it, it just continues to play out every time we record an episode every time we get to record an episode i wish we could do one every day honestly it'd be a ton of fun but 40 hour 50 hour work weeks get in the way and along with uh, other responsibilities that are a little more important than podcasting but i sincerely appreciate you listening to any of our episodes if you listen to each episode or you just pop in here and there, I really appreciate it. I want to give a big thank you as well to every guest that appeared on our podcast in 2020 from race promoters to people that work in the racing industry to even non-racing people that have appeared on our podcast. We sincerely appreciate their attendance. We appreciate you listening, subscribing on your podcast app of choice. And we're really looking forward to 2021. There's still some things to be worked out with our idea to do broadcasts of races on Facebook. We've ran into a few technical snafus here and there, but we're just going to see what door opens, what door shuts. But as far as 2021 goes, I'm really looking forward to it personally. I'm going back into dirt, uh, dirt racing announcing with the Southeast Dirt Modified Series. They did a few a few races last year, but they're going full swing again in 2021. I'm really looking forward to being a part of that as a race announcer. So that's going to take some of my time away from this podcast to do something that I just love to do. I love to call races and I love to work with Steve Summerlin and Tyler Skinner and the entire crew we have assembled with the Southeast Start Modified Series. So that'll be taking some of my time away from this podcast. Me and Buddy are still going to get together. We're still going to record episodes when we can. We'll still interview guests when we can. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of schedule we'll be on, to be perfectly honest, which is why we need you to subscribe to the Half Price Concessions podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever app you listen to us on. Subscribe. That way, you don't have to look for a Facebook post or a Twitter post when we're putting out a new episode. 
it'll just automatically pop up and download because we really don't know what schedule we're going to be on. We're going to be putting out content one way or another. I wish we had the more you know free time to put out daily episodes or weekly episodes, but there's just some things that come in the way that are a lot more important than doing podcasts. This is something we love to do and it's fun and it's a hobby. It's not our life. It's not our work. It's just for fun. But we appreciate you being here. We take it very seriously and we have a lot of fun doing it. And we'll go ahead and sign off for 2020 and put a bow on what was a crazy season. We'll see you in 2021 from all of us here at the Half Price Concessions Podcast. My name is Tyler Williams saying a very sincere thank you for listening to our show.